Heroes Are Alive with Is It Really, the podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies. I'm Brandon Sharp. They're gone! I'm Zach Smith Michaels. And I'm Mitchell Dupree. And tonight we're discussing a few of our favorite things and asking, what is the sound of music? Zach, why don't you give us a little plot of The Sound of Music before we get started here? Set against the backdrop of an impending Second World War, we meet Maria. She's a flippity gibbet, a will-o'-the-wisp, but how can you keep a wave upon the sand? She bends a few rules at the Abbey and is assigned to be a nanny for a Navy Admiral named Captain Von Trapp. Von Trapp is a widow with seven children. Seven children who have a tendency to chase away all of their nannies. Maria feels up to the challenge, but is baffled when she finds out that the good captain is a spicy slice. Will she gain the children's trust? Is love in the air? And what are those Nazis up to? What are some other classic movie musicals that we can compare The Sound of Music to? All right, so when I was a kid in school and we had music class and we'd have like a movie day, we would either watch The Sound of Music or My Fair Lady. We did Sound of Music because, you know, Do Re Mi, and I think we learned diction from My Fair Lady. Yeah, I think of Audrey Hepburn and Julie Andrews and Rex Harrison and Christopher Plummer. Well, I think of one of my favorite musicals is Cabaret, and it could not be more different. It is very dark in tone. Obviously, they're both about World War II, so that's the comparison I draw. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because I was really reflecting this week on what do I want when I go to see a musical? Is it one thing? Is it many things? And I think a musical like The Sound of Music is so enjoyable and it's so escapist and fluffy where a musical like Cabaret is stark and it's holding up a mirror to the audience. So it's it's interesting to me how different these shows can be while touching on some of the same subject matter. Well, I chose 1971 Fiddler on the Roof, and I'm actually more familiar with the stage version of Fiddler on the Roof than I am with the film. But I have seen the film. It's it's a very nice it's a very nice little picture. I love. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but Topol as the the man who plays Tevya, and mm-hmm. I feel like he is he's fantastic. One one of the big things I kind of contrast between the two are the Fiddler on the Roof feels tonally like it could actually take place in in that imperial Russia, the Jewish culture, whereas a lot of the songs from Sound of Music, they're not distinctly Austrian or German. They could be, that, that movie could have taken place anywhere, really, and except for maybe like Edelweiss or something. But for the most part, like the songs are pretty cross-cultural. You know what I was thinking about, though, is uh, when I think about other classic movie musicals, I never think about those animated Disney films. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not classic. They're like 20 years old. Well, I mean, I'm thinking like even if you go back further, like, you know, your Bambies and your your kind of older um, Disney films. Snow White. I think they were doing, yeah, Snow White, for instance, Pinocchio. For a lot of people, that's kind of the only exposure that they'll readily accept Mm -hmm. to musicals because there's kind of a lot of like i don't like musicals i don't like when people just sing out of nowhere but disney kind of gets a pass with that you know what i mean right yeah something feels different about a disney musical for one 
we get introduced to those at a very early age and they just feel more ingrained into our uh, society is like where you're when you're watching something like the sound of music it's like oh we're watching a musical here it's almost like there's a distinction made now this is a musical boys and girls well not to mention that uh the Disney movie musicals were written to be movies originally mm-hmm. where when we're watching sure. what we've been calling movie musicals, they're really film adaptations of musicals. So right. it's as removed from being a movie as an adaptation of a book. It's very difficult. I think to take something that was meant for the stage and make it a good movie. Oh yeah. 100%. I was actually thinking about that. Maybe my favorite musical of all time, the last five years it's fantastic on stage, but the movie like just doesn't quite work. It doesn't make the transition nicely. But I mean, the music is still there. The performances are all the same. It just doesn't land because I think when you're watching something on stage, there's more of a you're you're waiting to be pulled in. Whereas when you sit down and you watch something on the big screen, you can see all the bright lights and all the colors and the editing and the sound and everything. Whereas when you're on stage, you're kind of just like looking around and figuring stuff out. I think with the theater, there's only so much they can do, and you're required to use your imagination more, which in turn creates a more complete experience. A movie, you can do anything now, especially nowadays. The possibilities are endless. There's also something nostalgic or precious about the original way you saw um, that story. Mm. I saw Fiddler on the Roof on stage the first time I ever saw it. And let me tell you, when you have the cast singing Anna Tevka and they're like walking out through the audience, you'll be hard pressed to not melt into a puddle on the ground. Whereas the movie just doesn't hit you as hard for some reason. You know what it feels like? Have you ever like seen an amazing sunset and then you get out your Mm. phone to take a picture of it and it looks dinky? Uh, There's just, you're not able to capture the power. It's still special. But uh, there's something about the scope that gets lost. You know, even I think of like Les Mis, which is just so large in every mm-hmm. way. The film could not feel more sterile to me, just mm-hmm. impotent. It does not really affect the way that it should because it's it's just so difficult to capture the same magic. Right. And I think that the opposite can happen. Like, again, going back to the last five years, I think that's my issue with the movie. When I saw the play, it was in a black box theater, like mm-hmm. two person show. And it just felt like very personal and like it was speaking to me. However, then when you see the movie and you see all the bright colors and all the big choreography and kind of all the the extra stuff, it loses its uh, its personal touch. That brings up an interesting point. Who's the audience for movie right. musicals? Mm-hmm. You're never going to make all the theater people happy. Right. right. No. Uh, the purists, you know, who, who want mm-hmm. it to be a certain thing. But I remember when I saw Les Mis with my family. Like right. literally, I think my, my dad was like, oh, they're, they're going to keep singing the whole time. Was, <laughs> Mine too. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you are in for it. <laughs> Does that go the other way from uh, screen to stage? Right? Well, I remember when they made Rocky into a musical, <laughs> Broadway musical. And, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, if you love Rocky and you love lavish musicals, who are you? Right. Like yeah. who, who in the world are you? I don't know who this who this was supposed to be for. Anyone can go to the movie theater. I feel like the theater group is quite a bit smaller. I feel like the movie people don't care about sure. something that might something that might get put on the stage. It's almost kind of like an added bonus sometimes. Just like, oh, more stuff. 
if I were able to see uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on stage, you know, it's just like more Harry Potter. I would enjoy that. I think there is more of a critical response from um, theater stories that are adapted for screen. I think we're a little snobby. There's just so many bad movie musicals. I don't want them. Hmm. Ghost the musical. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Oh, it's amazing. Look up pictures of the costume sometime. What about Elf the musical? Yeah, that's a great example of a terrible, terrible musical. It's a story of Buddy the Elf. I feel like where these musicals struggle are with the songs, right? The songs are all pretty weak. Yeah, a bad song can feel like an eternity. When I watched Elf, I was thinking, oh, this this could be so much fun. His journey to New York is like a nice song. Like the song the elves sing in the workshop could be a nice song. Like oftentimes there's a lot of potential, but if the songs don't work, you're just kind of like, oh, here's a worse version of something that you love. All right, well, I have a nug I've, I've been wanting to drop for a smidge. And I'll call this nug the greatest showman. <laughs> and You're about to break some hearts. Here's, here's why we got we have to. There's no way we cannot talk about the greatest showman because it's yeah. a great example of a movie that audiences loved and critics mm-hmm. hated. Very and similar me. to the Sound of Music. Uh, right. So first of all, is the greatest showman the great 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 grandchild of the Sound of Music? I don't like hearing that. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> Second of all, I think it tells us that critics and audiences want something very different from a musical. I don't know what that is. I mean, Mamma Mia is another example of like, critics don't love this, but I'll tell you what, my mom and sister do. So I I don't know exactly if I can pinpoint what musicals are supposed to offer the public. Sure, sure. And again, with Greatest Show, when I was like, well, I'm here to have a good time. And then I felt like the movie tricked me. How did it trick you? <laughs> Because the opening song is like that big, super upbeat. They Someone saw Hamilton and they were just, yeah, we're going to do that in my Greatest Showman movie. So the first song, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's get it. Let's get it. And then every other song was just boring musical number. And the songs aren't that well written. And also we don't have a discernible melody. I'm Hugh Jackman. I have a brado and it's boring, boring, boring. And then it gets to the look out because here I come. I was like, yeah, we're back into it. And then back to I am cheating on my wife overseas, overseas. So I was like, the, you, the genre, <laughs> the genre you're doing could not be further from the greatest showman, but I don't care. I love it. When you re, that's how it felt. It went from here's cool music to like, oh, no, every special. song in the greatest showman to me feels like a bad Philip Phillips song. <laughs> it's like the, the 50 songs he had to write to get to home. Yeah. And, and also, oh, I mean, gosh. just the story was in the story was The Greatest Showman feels like the adult version of High School Musical to me. (laughs) Now, Fraulein, I want a truthful answer from you. Yes, Captain. Is it possible, or could I have just imagined it? Have my children, by any chance, been climbing trees today? Yes, Captain. I see. And where, may I ask, did they get uh, these, um, these... Play clothes. Oh, is that what you call them? I made them from the drapes that used to hang in my bedroom. Drapes? They still had plenty of wear left. The children have been everywhere in them. Do you mean to tell me that my children have been roaming about Salzburg dressed up in nothing but some old drapes? Mm Mm-hmm. 
and having a marvelous time. They have uniforms. Oh, straight jackets, if you'll forgive me. I will not forgive you for that. Children cannot do all the things they're supposed to do if they have to worry about spoiling their precious clothes. The... Well, they wouldn't dare. They love you too much. They fear you too much. I don't much. wish you to discuss my children in this manner. Well, you've got to hear from someone. You're never home long enough I to said know I them. I don't want to hear any more from you about I my children. I know you don't, but you've got to. I just want to make sure we're on the same page about one thing. Yes. I think Christopher Plummer is great at this. He's just magnetic. He brings a dark snarkiness. Yeah, he's oddly funny, like in that little thing of like, could it be possible? Yes. Could I have just imagined it. Yes. Like, it's like that little bit of, of, of humor that's in there. It's kind of interesting in that scene to see it fade away. It all seems to go right out the window when she goes, oh, I made their clothes out of those drapes. Well, I feel like she's still being playful and right. she's almost tormenting him when she says, yep, and having a marvelous time. You know, it right. was super like, I'm going to, you know, shove this in your face. She takes no guff from the captain at any point in this movie. And it makes sense because she does have to leave the Abbey for being somewhat confrontational. Like she says, you know, when I get in a disagreement with the uh, mother, I have to kiss the floor. And she's like, well, I've just started kissing the floor when I see her coming. Can we step into it? There okay. are two major conflicts in this movie. The first one being that a father is upset that his children's clothes are made out of curtains. And the second one being that the Nazis are invading Austria and they are given the same narrative weight. Because the fact of the matter is no one in the world would be able to know that those were originally curtains. I don't feel like there were curtain stores back then in Salzburg. They ripped that off in Enchanted, I just realized, where she keeps making all of her uh, outfits out of the curtain. <laughs> I feel like Enchanted, though, is like has a couple of ripoffs going on, right? That's kind no, of its it, thing. They're homages. I think it's interesting that Maria knows kind of early on that they're not bad kids. It looks like she's in pain when he makes them get out of the water and, and line up and kind of go right back to... Um, their old ways because it's like right. she she now knows these kids and knows that one they're not bad kids they're just looking for their father's attention and mm -hmm. this is all he's given them mm -hmm. and she'd made so much progress over the course of the do re mi song finally being honest and they've stopped being super rebellious and now back to business as usual dad's being a jerk fun while it lasted yeah dad's home his reaction is not that like out of place this is exactly how he would react He's left for a little while, come back, and his world's been flipped upside down. He literally has whistles for his children. The whistle is one of my favorite parts of that initial meet. The first time he starts wailing on it, the way Maria's mouth just falls askew yeah. is hilarious to me. Yeah. Did he improvise those whistles? Because some of them just went... Well, the last one for her is, <laughs> is wonderful. It's just as loud and obnoxious as can be. <laughs> oh, almost like he's making a statement about her with that whistle. Right. Yeah, I think that's the intent. This is when yeah. they fall in love, by the way. Yeah, that's what she says. The first time you blew that whistle. Really? I don't think so. Yeah, because then she says whistles are for dogs and cats, not for children, and certainly not for me. Obviously, you guys don't believe in love at first sight, and I'm the only romantic on this show. Love at first sight has nothing to do with being a romantic. <laughs> Yeah. I love going, uh, getting back into the scene a little bit more, how she starts to like describe all the children. Take Liesl, for example, and he just won't listen to her. He's just like, no, mm. I don't want to hear about it. Don't say another word. And then finally he screams. She's like, I'm not finished. And he goes, oh, yes, you are, Captain. 
Like he's still living in this world of being in charge since his wife has passed. He's not been able to be himself. Yeah, she's really forcing him to confront uh, how distant he's been from his children. It is very, very difficult to, to make someone come to grips with when they're in the wrong. He knows all of this. It's just hearing it is hard. And that's in the following scene when he sings with the children and then goes to her and says, I want you to stay. I behaved badly. I think it's him allowing himself to be like, okay, I need to re-examine myself. And here's a woman who clearly understands and gets what's going on. Like she needs to be here. I love how gracious she is to him in that scene too, where he apologizes and and she says, I'm sorry too. You know, I, I spoke out of turn. It's one of my worst faults. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I do. Because she she really does overstep. Right. But that's what allows them to become more emotionally intimate than he ever was with the Baroness. Because she yeah. sees who he is and calls him on it. At the end of their conversation, I would not say there is a softening of his heart. I didn't take that away. Like, I would say he is still very resolute in his convictions, but it's almost as if the sound of music begins to soften his heart. And by the time he enters into the room and sees his children singing, he joins them in chorus. And it was almost like a transformation was made. That's what music does. That's what art does. It has the ability to cut straight to the heart in a way that words can never do. He hears it, and he's instantly transported to a happier time. I guess in my mind, I always thought that the difference between before and after that song, that the difference in his character was too stark. Like I I don't know why, but then rewatching this, I was like, no, he's still that same guy who's just learning how to reconnect with his children, because he still says to Uncle Max, my children will not be singing in front of people. He still is that kind of disciplinarian. He's just Mm -hmm. learning to like back off a little bit more a protective father he also knows what type of person max is yeah an opportunist sure he doesn't want his children exploited i feel like that's fair one of the preludes to the boat scene i love is when uh uncle max is just sitting there just kind of doing his like <laughs> with the baroness and then the, the captain shows up and he goes i'm really worried about these nazis and max goes like whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen just make sure it doesn't happen to you and he freaks out and he's like Don't you ever say that to me again. Here is a guy who has his convictions and he is sticking with them. I loved how important he made those distinctions, but there's no middle ground. We don't understand it. We understand from our place in history because we know how bad the Nazis are, but we don't understand in that place and time. Like, why is he so angry? We understand about like as much as the children do. The historical elements are where the movie breaks down a little bit. Because the movie is focused on Max's and the captain's differences as a matter of politics rather than a matter of violence. Does that make sense? Right. The violence of the Nazis and the sound of music is very broad and vague. Like, they're kind of just mean. Right. Uh, It is never targeted physical danger towards anyone. Right. I think I would be less frustrated if they didn't have Max as a character, honestly. Like, Max is implied to be uh, maybe gay or maybe Jewish, that implication mm-hmm. is is there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they yeah. do that so they can have their feet in both pools of like, there were people affected, but not really. Max is the stick your head in the sand character for me. The ostrich, don't ruffle feathers. 
this doesn't feel like a full-blown occupation. It feels like there are a few yeah. Nazis going around throwing some flags up and they're hanging out in downtown Salzburg. There's no SS office established and officers marching the street. But that's what makes it possible for that scene jumping, serious, light. It's just like, yeah, because the Nazis, that doesn't feel that serious to me. Like there's some flags right. going up and then Captain Von Trapp tears it down. You know, it's just like it doesn't feel very heavy. And then there's the sneaky butler. We're led to believe that he's involved somehow. He chats with the messenger and then he's staring at them as they're driving away. He's a mean guy. He's mean to Maria from the get. So you, he's sketch. Is he? The butler is? Yeah, remember? He's like... And I'm the old butler, Fräulein. The way he says it is like, <laughs> you could not be more stupid. <laughs> he's a he's a bad, mean Nazi sympathizer. Absolutely. Yeah. Say we were to look at some of the great movie musicals of all time, and then from that form... An Avengers team, if you will, of our favorite characters. Who would be your top choices, fellas? All right. Well, for me, I need a team. First off, from My Fair Lady, we've got Eliza Doolittle. She's had a rough life. She can play both sides of the coin now. She's capable of anything. <laughs> She's dangerous. Next, we've got Mary Poppins. Mystical powers. She can fly. She can do all kinds of magic. We need her. And we need some muscle. We got the beast. We let him out of the cage. It's all good. And we need someone to hold this team together. Someone like a decorated war admiral, like Captain Georg von Trapp. That's my team. I, like Zach, didn't go for the easy bait. Like, I could have gone with the Phantom of the Opera. Right? He's a murderer. He kills dozens of people in that show. But too simple. I want a team. I want people who are going to work together. So who's the leader of my team? Rizzo from Greece. <laughs> She's tough. She's the first lady in the West Wing. She wears cool jackets. She knows what she will do and what she won't do. She sings a whole song about it. So she knows her limits. Number two, Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show. You put Tim Curry on any team, they will fall prey to his seduction. Number three. Russell Crowe's Javert oh, from Les He would bore them into a stupor. He's the Jigglypuff of my team, baby. I thought you were going to say the Snorlax. dulcet tones. Me too. <laughs> he is simultaneously the Jigglypuff and the Snorlax. <laughs> Plus, he just looks good in Robin's Egg Blue and that baby blue uniform. No, and no. he carries a sword. Uh, fourth, fourth up is the MC from Cabaret. And I could go Alan Cumming because I think he's awesome, but I'm going to go Joel Gray. All right, here you go. Every team needs like a wholesome choice, right? Christian from Moulin Rouge, played by Ewan McGregor. Starry-eyed, that all-American, even though he's British, voice. The Captain America. Yes, the Captain America, if you will. Correct. That's sacrilege. Everyone needs the smooth-talking, kind of slick, a little too slick for their own good, maybe. Danny Zuko from Greece. Tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's kind of my Iron Man character. Also, we have to have a, a girl on the team and stuff. <laughs> I'm going to go with Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. And lastly, you need muscle. You need just unrelenting force. I'm going with Edna from Hairspray, that hulking John Travolta 
she is just my muscle. I need to make a quick adjustment. I, I we've kicked the beast off my team and replaced him with Tony from West Side Story. Good with a knife, ruthless. Jets and the sharks. And we're just gonna change things. <laughs> I'm just going to rip you to pieces because I think the beast is a puppy dog. We was choking out Gaston that way. Evermore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you'd said Dan Stevens as the beast, maybe. No, because he sings like Tom Waits in that movie. I don't want that. Here's the thing. Number one threat on our team is hands down Eliza Doolittle. She's kind of like the Black Widow of the team, so to speak. <laughs> Can I point out that you said when you were introducing her, she could play both sides of the coin? Do you mean she can speak in an accent but speak in <laughs> yeah. proper English? Well, no, like they, they, <laughs> she literally goes from being like a homeless woman who's yelling at people and who's very feisty to being this prim and proper. Like she, she can do it all. This I'm with this you. I'm just like name the Avengers big brawl at the end with the Jatari, where like someone who could speak in a British accent, it's gonna be of use. This is the movie musical version. <laughs> And then I feel like Mary Poppins is just shows over, folks. I'm terrified of Mary Poppins, actually. She's like the Dr. Manhattan of the musical mm. theater world. She can jump in and out of different realities. And she could be Julie Andrews or Emily Blunt. Oh, if you want to have your cake and eat it, too, then you cheat. No, that sounds Fine. like cheating. I'm going to replace is. one of my, I'm going to replace the MC with the fan of the opera and go by Zach's rules. And I want Carrie Underwood as my uh, Maria also. <laughs> Why why did you because do that? Because no to one yourself, said anything Brandon? about it yet. How can we not? <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, how did we miss? Well, she has one volume and that's loud, so she yeah. would be able to use her voice to just belt over uh, the enemy. Yeah, let me tell you who my favorite character is is Friedrich in that live action one. I'm Friedrich! I'm 14! No, you're not. I see that you both wisely have chosen not to come after Russell Crowe Javert because he's bulletproof. Here's the thing, though. Like, he gets hung up on one guy who stole a loaf of bread. So your team's going to be like, all right, we're going to get the bad guys. And he's like, wait a minute. I have to go get this one man from long time ago. Like, he doesn't do his job because he's too busy trying to get this one guy. Now, that is a good point. That is a good criticism. Mm. <laughs> this is going to sound bad. I don't want young Dorothy on a team with Danny Zuko. That's... No, 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 no. That's no. a recipe for an after-school special. Listen, Dorothy comes equipped with bodyguards. She basically comes equipped with <laughs> with the original Iron Man. No, no, right? no. Brandon, do I get the entire French military then? She gets the Scarecrow. He's practically like a Hawkeye-type character. Then, of course, the Cowardly Lion, which, I mean, possibilities are endless there. Hulk? <laughs> I think the possibilities are pretty finite there. He's terrified of everything. No, but he finds his courage. He finds it. <laughs> He's fine, I guess. <laughs> the, the cowardly lion is about as dangerous as I am. Yeah. He's very fussy. Who? Wow. I don't remember all your other picks, but I, I appreciate it. He had this. Zuko. He had Garland. He had... Did you say you had All right. Mario? Well, let's just start with Zuko. He's going to be in jail 10 minutes but in. But this is, this is the <laughs> Avengers. This is the Avengers. That's the kind of people you want on this team. Right? Prisoners? I saw Avengers Civil War. They end up getting arrested. Deadly individuals. But Danny <laughs> is small potatoes compared to Tony. No. 
Like, Tony is going to cut off Danny's face and wear it and then take his leather jacket. The Jets are basically the WNBA. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. you you come back when you're not picking someone from a Leonard Bernstein musical. Get out, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Can you please talk about the Baroness and Maria in this next bit maybe one thing that i find interesting about the relationship between captain and the baroness is he goes to her house and spends like a month there it seems to me like this relationship takes place away from the children they're living this fantasy like his kids don't exist Mm -hmm. almost when she does finally meet the kids there's this governess that they're in love with she does what she needs to do i think the the scene that really clicks for her is when they're passing that ball around and she's uh-huh. really trying. That's like her A game with trying to connect right. with the kids. That's all she's got. And it just is clunky and it doesn't work. And she's just like, okay, we can take a little break. I think that's kind of when she's like, this is not going to work. I remember always being sad for her and feeling upset at the movie because it feels like it punishes her for not being maternal. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she's not as good with kids, so she's less worthy of love or something. That's really not what it is. They end things amicably. It's not a good fit. It's in this particular instance, the captain needs to marry someone who can be a mother to his children. I think the, the captain is still mourning when yeah. we meet him at the beginning of the movie, right? And then Maria kind of brings him back home to reality, to his life. I thought this was actually a really clever bit of writing when Maria starts praying and she goes, oh, Father, now I know why I'm here to get these children ready for a new mother. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes, yes, you are. Also, yeah, it would I, be criminal not to bring up the sisters and Reverend Mother. I must say, there are a couple actresses who I was like, are you a real nun? Because <laughs> some of the acting here is awful. I yeah, agree. the um, I'd like to say a word in her behalf. Maria makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, oh, don't talk about Sister Margareta that way. <laughs> oh, that, don't you, don't you dare. Of the three or four nuns that are standing there, she's the one who clearly has a soft spot for Maria. I love the mean nun who keeps singing a clown. <laughs> I love the way that nun says curlers. She has curlers in her yeah, hair. Curlers in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say something that I found so beautiful? I love that the Reverend Mother really cares about Maria. I love that she says to her, like, hey, maybe this isn't for you, and that's okay. Yeah. It's all about guiding Maria. Maria's character arc is literally just finding the will of God in her life. Yeah. That is her primary motive. She just wants to figure out what God wants her to do. She is wholeheartedly supportive of that. I think the Abbey represents this safe haven for Maria. Like Maria will always have a home at the Abbey, even though she has chosen this other life. There's that beautiful exchange. The last words that Reverend Mother says to Maria before she gives her the key to the gate and watching it this time, now having children of my own. And I think it was right after Friedrich tells his father that Mm. you don't have to worry about us. We'll be able to do this on our own. That was a knife in the heart. These kids are ready for whatever test or trial they're going to encounter. 
or at least they think they are. And then Reverend Mother talks about, I look to the hills, and this time I was bawling my eyes out during that scene. Can I make a joke now? <laughs> I will say I was not overly fond of Maria walking down the aisle and the nun singing, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Because it's almost like a man, a man, a man. I'm so glad she- you said that. Patriarchy marriage, patriarchy <laughs> marriage. I love how beautiful the scene is, but yeah, the, the message of it is disgusting. It's not. This great. is how you solve a problem like Maria. Oh. Is the sound of music sexist? No, no. You are 16 going on 17. Is the baby it's cold outside of this mm-hmm. musical? Sure. Uh, yes. With lyrics like innocent as a rose. And he needs someone older and wiser. And he literally calls her a baby, which girls love it when you call him a baby. Because you're a baby. They do. 16 Going On 17 is about as mansplaining as like the song Mary Did You Know is. But that's also like kind of the point. (laughs) I'm sorry. Mary Did You Know is a mansplaining song? (laughs) Yeah. Mary Did You Know that (laughs) your baby. I, I think she knows, Mark. Mary. Did you know that your child is the great I am? We need Mark Lowry. Let's clear this up. He obviously thinks he knows more than St. Mary, the mother of our Lord. I I also feel like what is actually shocking about the you are 16 going on 17, he's the one that runs away like a 12-year-old boy after he kisses her. Well, his arc is all about him wanting to be a man, but he's a boy. Her desire is to hit the gas and start love, and she realizes she needs to slow down. It's not about needing a man. It's about needing Maria. That scene feels icky to me this time around for some reason. It does. It just feels a little icky. Well, he's like a a Nazi. Rolf's whole deal is like wanting power. Like he even like, do you know, did you notice he doesn't tell the butler if there's news or not? He's like, perhaps, because he wants to have that little bit of power. So it's creepy to me that he's like a kid who wants to have power and be a man and then uh, exert that power over a girl who's younger than him. What is the sound of music to me? Well, I made a list. The sound of music is goats and lederhosen. Stunning shots of Austrian scenery and an indelible performance by Julie Andrews. It's a movie so popular and enduring, it's managed to overshadow Salzburg's other famous son, Mozart. It's the magic of Rodgers and Hammerstein's music that lifts us up to the mountaintops. And the second best movie about nuns, thanks to Whoopi Goldberg and Lauren Hill in Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. It's a message of courage and choosing hope when life gets hard. It's yodeling, marionettes, and romantic gazebos. It's a desire we all have to be part of a happy family. And for those who would say it's too sappy or sweet, I'd say it has a tremendous amount of heart. An optimistic view of the human spirit? Maybe. But I welcome the occasional celebration of the beauty of being alive, and that is what The Sound of Music is. The Sound of Music takes many shapes over the course of the movie. It is strength for a nun who has lost her way, healing for a husband who misses his wife, an anthem of bravery for a nation that has some very tough times ahead, and encouragement for children who desperately need it. 
It is something to believe in, to hope for, and a place you will always feel at home. Music in its best form can be an escape. Music helps us cope. It helps us grow. Music is a constant companion. Captain Von Trapp needs to heal after his wife's death. The children need a loving guardian. Maria needs a place to belong. How do our characters reach their arc? Music. The Sound of Music is a sound of healing, growing, unity, and love. The Sound of Music is self-discovery. And now, as the Von Trapps flee into the hills, we know that they will persevere due to their knowledge of the sound of music. Hey, that's a wrap for this week. We're thrilled you joined us for our discussion of the enduring appeal of the vivacious Austrian governess and the buttoned-up Von Traps. What does the sound of music mean to you? We want to know. You know, lots of you are texting and messaging us your thoughts. Go ahead and share them on Facebook. We can be found at the Is It Really Podcast. And whether you're a fan of cream-colored ponies or crisp apple strudels, shout your opinions from the hilltops so we can all get in on the action and tell you how smart you are. And don't forget, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling good, please give us a rating and review. Send us proof you did it, and we'll send you some bonus content. Maybe the unreleased recordings of the Real Boy Family Singers. And you know, thanks again for listening. We're Is It Really, reminding you to practice your soul fetch. See you next time. Bye.